Hey, welcome to Humanitu. I'm Adam Williams, creator and host of this podcast series that explores all the stuff of being human and creative. Today, I'm talking with Big Samir, the bilingual lyricist and MC of The Reminders. Along with fellow MC and incredible singer Asia Black, The Reminders are a musical group that transcends hip-hop. They bring an authentically personal, international flavor to their work and to their lyrics of empowerment and love and resilience and so many honest and uplifting elements of the human experience. Samir and I talk about some of that journey, how they've shared stages and tours with so many likewise amazing and recognizable artists, and some of them being big influences on Samir's life, like Snoop Dogg, Rakim, Lauren Hill, Nas, Most Def, Big Boy, and on and on. Too many to list here now. We also dig into Samir's extraordinary personal story, like his roots in Belgium and in the Congo, and how, having grown up primarily speaking French, he ended up learning English as a teenager, mashing up his Belgian, French, and Congolese roots with a New Yorker's accent while living in San Antonio, Texas. With Samir and I both being fathers, naturally we get into some of our perspectives there, and we talk about how Samir and Asia, pre-pandemic, toured with their three kids, and how as a family, they share this musical, creative ride. The Reminder's music can be fairly described as conscious, aware of events in the world, and on some level as protest music, music with an activist energy. But Samir shares why, despite that power in their music, he doesn't really claim the activist label. Okay, so I feel like I so often say this, but it's always true that in an hour-plus-long conversation like this one, when we're getting into the juice of life, the real human and creative heart of things, we cover a lot of ground. And the same is true with Samir. I didn't mention half the topics we flow through in this intro. But I feel like it's time to dig in and just let you find out for yourself. I mean, it's, it's 75 minutes of such good conversation with Big Samir. So here we go. Hey, hey, Samir. Welcome to Humanitu. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Are you good? You healthy? It's been a rough year. Are you hanging on? Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging on in there. I actually feel better than, better than I've ever felt. Good, so good. I, I can't and complain, yeah. Family? Everybody Family's good? Family's great. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's alive and kicking. Good. You know, I want to start us off with asking you about a new song. Your guys' newest song. When I say you guys, what I'm referring to, of course, is the reminders that's yes, you, yeah. that's your wife, Asia Black, yeah. partners in yeah. the music, partners in life. And in that song, uh, Asia sings, I've walked 10,000 miles, I can walk 10,000 miles more. And yeah. the reason I kick us off with that is, man, we've gone through this year. And I'm just thinking, this might be kind of an anthem to say, you know what, we've gone through it, but I'm feeling pretty strong. I can do this. Is that where you are right now? You feeling strong and optimistic for where we're headed? Absolutely. I think within this time, we've learned so much. Uh, you know, we've had time to reflect and also time to, to recharge and say, hey, I've gone through this. We've gone even through this period right now and uh, we can do so much better. We, we, you know, now we're recharged and we're ready to, to get at it, you know, even more. That's good. You know, and the reminders, your guys' music, it's so empowering. There's so much strength. There's resilience. There's optimism love and i'm gonna say strength again you yeah, know yeah yeah it's a lot of strength and i'm just wondering if that's a vibe that you grew up with was that something that you were shown as a child this is how you approach life with this resilience and optimism 
Definitely. You know, uh, I come from a single mother home and watching my mother work however many jobs she had to at, at, at you know different times in her life and watching her raise three kids on her own and just always smiling through that process. You know, um, wow. it's, some, it's something that I've applied in it, everything that I had to do, whether it be, you know, if I have to get a job, if I have to get, pass a test, if or whatever obstacle that I have in life, it's like, okay, I can get through this. Man, life can be challenging enough. Being a parent definitely is challenging mm -hmm. to go through all that single mom and keep that smile. I can, yeah. I, I mean, I can't even, I can only try to imagine how sure. strong of for a sure. message that is to you. And even, you know, I... Asia and I have been married for 16 years and we have three children. And so we do it together, right? We, we, we have a good partnership and we have a, 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 we're have a solid team. Um, but I couldn't imagine doing this by myself. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So so yeah. when I think back, especially, you know, I, I, I remember my mom being the age that I am now. I remember my mom being, you know, uh, when I was in middle school. And so I watched my kids in middle school and trying to imagine uh, doing that alone is I couldn't even fathom, you know, that process. But, you know, so th those lessons that I learned are the same lessons that I put down when I create and, and when we share that in the music. Okay. Tell me about your background of, of where you grew up and what this was, because you live in Colorado now, but I know that's not where you were born. That's not where you spent right. this childhood you're talking about. So right. tell me something about where, where you're coming from and uh, what that experience was other than okay. such a strong mom. Yeah. So um, I was, I was born in Brussels, Belgium, which is the capital. And uh, you know, for people who are not familiar, Belgium is right on top of France. So French speaking was to in, in, in Belgium, they speak French and Dutch, They're, you know, separated into two, two um, sections. I'm from the French speaking part. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I was born there. Once my younger sister was born, we moved to the Congo, which is my dad. My dad's side of the family is there. So my dad is Congolese and my mom is half. She's half Belgian and half Congolese. Okay. So we, we moved to Congo, which is in Central Africa. Uh, we moved to Kinshasa and uh, we lived with my grandparents there on my, on my father's side. So my first memories of life are from the Congo. You know, my uh, elementary school, you know, I remember wearing a uniform to go to international school in Kinshasa. Um, I was there until 89, which I was roughly about eight years old. And that summer we moved back to Belgium to be with my mom because my parents had separated at the time. So okay. I went from Belgium to Congo, Congo back to Belgium. And then from there, my oldest sister got married and moved to Texas. So I moved with her after the wedding. I stayed with her and lived in Texas with her. So that's where I went to high school, San Antonio, Texas. And um, then from Texas, my mother got remarried and my stepfather was in the Air Force. He got stationed in Colorado. I graduated high school, came to Colorado Springs in 1998, and I've been here since. And so was your stepfather or is he American? He's American. Yeah, he was. A, there, there's a military base in Belgium, and that's where my mom and, and he met. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. that might sound like a strange question to some people, but yeah. I actually served four years in the army myself, and that's nice. where I learned you don't have to be American to be in our military services. So right, that's right, why right, I right. asked was to clarify because I was curious about how they connected. Right. But that makes that makes sense. So yeah. all right, man, San Antonio, Texas, and that's on the yeah. back end of Belgium, the Congo. This is quite a mix of experiences, and I'm wondering. 
I mean, I'm wondering a lot of things, I'm sure. But the first thing is, all right, your first memories were in the Congo. Then you go back to Belgium. What is that sort of transition like from, you know, different cultures and, and that whole thing? What was that a yeah. shock to you? Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's a great question because that's something I talk about a lot when we do residencies. You know, go. So my first memories of are, are, are me. Like I mentioned, my mom is mixed. So my mom is half black, half white. Right. Her her father is a Belgian man, and her and her mother was from Congo. So she's mixed. So then when when she has me and my younger sister, we're we're fairly light skinned. We're you know, pretty, technically mixed as well. So my memories of school in in Congo is. I stand out because everyone is so dark in the class. Okay. You know what I mean? So when they see me, they're like, oh, that's the kid whose mom is from Europe. You know what I mean? So they call him the kid of Europe. And so oh. I always, I always like was the outcast in the class. Like, yeah, of course we play, but also, you know, they always point at me when it's time for the jokes. So when I, when I moved to Belgium to be with my mom, I'm the African kid in the class. Yeah, and so that that was really tricky dynamic to trying to navigate, and uh, you know, obviously I, I'm I'm the subject of jokes there too, and and um, and then I have a strong African accent at the time because I spoke French, but then there's also a dialect called Lingala that we spoke most of the time when I was in the Congo. So then when I when I get to when I get to Belgium, I, yeah, I may speak French, but the, it's a French with a with an African accent, and so you know, kids love to make okay. fun of that too. Um, yeah, and wow. It, it, and and then you know then a few years later when I finally get to Texas now I'm this kid who speaks French because I was still learning English at the time I was uh, I was about fifteen I was still still learning English at the time so now I have a French accent but then I love East Coast rap music you know I could rap along to every Wu Tang uh, uh, lyrics and 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 Rakim and so people were really confused they're like this dude sound he he speaks English with an East Coast accent but also with a French accent. <laughs> and, and this is in San Antonio, Texas, you know, so it was really it was really interesting times. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I can can think, OK, that's that's painful, possibly mm -hmm. that that can lead to some things, some fights some whatever it yeah. might when you're oh, a yeah. kid. But now we're both grown and yeah. it's like, man, that that dude is fascinating because he yeah. has these experiences, because he has the different things he's learned and he's seen in the world. And, you know, where are you now on that perspective? Was that confusing? And, and um, it sounds difficult when you were a kid. Like, how did you navigate that then? And now how do you look back on having had to go through that? You know, it wasn't until I started performing a lot more. Um, as a matter of fact, in Texas, I recorded my first two songs. I was in, I was in a group with my sister's husband at the time. Uh, we, we formed a group called Acumen. And even when we moved to Colorado Springs, we released a couple albums and, um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we did, we did pretty good. We had a full band and everything, but at the time in Texas, when I recorded a couple songs, I would play the tapes for my friends and they would say, Oh, I learned so much from you from listening to those songs. Right. And, and, and which in those songs is just me basically journaling and expressing my feelings. And that's when I realized that the more I did that, the more the more I shared my story, or I shared where I came from and the experiences that I've been through, the more people connected with me and the more people would also um, relate to some of these stories. So I started to do that a lot more, obviously, with, with being a musician um, it's just opening up a lot more and it, and it helped free something in me and it helped also connect with more people. 
So that's been that's been really incredible. You know, obviously at first you're a child, you're like, oh, they're gonna make fun of me. So let me just not say as much. Let me not speak, because then they're gonna make fun right. of the way that I speak. So, but the more I actually did it, the more I connected with people. So, and it's something that's great. Like now, I, I, my my goal now is to create more songs, sharing those experiences, because I, I realize that sometimes when we travel and we go to these universities and and I, and you know, a lot of uh, refugees from S- Somalia and in, in, in Congo. I remember one time we were performing in uh, in Aurora, so in, in southeast Denver, and uh, and I mentioned that that I, that I was raised in Congo, and four kids ran to me after the show and were like, "I have never met somebody, you know, a performer here in America that came from Congo." So they were super proud, super excited, you know, took pictures and everything, and 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 so you know, I'm trying to show people that they're not alone. You know what I mean? Like there's more of us out here. There's more of us that have been that have gone through these experiences. So 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 growing into it, you know, I just share I just share my story a lot more. And it takes that you know that vulnerability and courage that goes together and sure. and be willing to do that, right? Like so many of us if we're afraid to share the story, then what we're doing is missing out on the connection which could help strengthen ourselves and our confidence in that story. But then of course, like you just said, and that's why I do things with humanity like I do and having these conversations, because when we talk about it, there's somebody listening right now as we speak, as you speak and share that story, who's like, there's something that resonates with them, whether they're from the yep. Congo or it's some other piece that you're going to share today, you know, and, yep. and that's why it's important to do that. And with music, right? Hip hop, um, it, it, that's a category that gets put on some of your music, but there's also African rhythms and there's yeah. roots and there's, there's, so there's more. this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in all of that though, is storytelling. It's not just about a subject just to make music. Like you're sharing your life. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I think that's part of the growth, you know, uh, particularly in hip hop. When you first start, you're trying to outwit everyone. You're trying to show how great you are with with metaphors and, and with, with, with your lyrics and what all you can do, which is great. And it's impressive. You get people's attention that way. However, the more you tell stories and the more you can convey a message, the more people connect to it. Um, right. And that's and that's one thing, you know, the the where I where I come from and, and, and my story is part of it. You know, the, the more I got into it, the more I, I grew as an artist, the more people will pick up on um, how how deeply spiritual I am. You know, not just not not just particularly I follow this 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 um, specific spiritual path, but my journey through spirituality, people will connect to that. And then my journey through through my relationship with Asia, my journey through um, my my parenting, you know, people people at, at this point people have watched our children grow. You know, I have music videos where my son is a is a baby and an infant carrier, and now they see him and he's a musician. He's a drummer now. He's ten years old. You know what I mean? And same with my daughters. Like there's videos and songs where you can hear them. Uh, their baby voices and now you see them and they can sing you know they go to the conservatory and they have videos where they're singing whole songs and write their own songs so as people watch this this um our path they can relate to it some of them are like oh i remember when my kid was you know this age or i remember when you know this time in, in parenting so yeah it's been it's been great connecting with people and seeing what they gravitate towards from you know what we put out in the world I'm going to want to talk more with you about fatherhood because we have that in common. But first, I want to stick with some influences of your mom here, because I heard in another conversation that you had where you talked about some of these influences that she had up on the walls with photos of iconic 
strong yeah. leaders like Malcolm yeah. X, uh, Elijah yep. Muhammad, MLK, uh, Marcus Garvey. And, and I'm curious the impact in, and what ages we're talking about when you're really starting to learn about these figures who, you know, are, are historical and continue to, to have an effect in this world, even though um, they're not here anymore. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it was really it was really a casual thing, you know. It was it was a it was a framed image um, right by the TV, and and these were these were things that were just it was just a part of of uh, of uh, of our life, uh, you know, of the way she raised us. You know, I remember watching uh, the movie Malcolm X when I was when I was pretty young, and watching so many so many conscious movies like that, you know, and um, it was just part of history, which is interesting because at the time I lived in Belgium. You know, it's not even like we were in America living the American experience, the, 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 the black American experience. You know what I mean? We were learning from the black American experience being there through the music, through, um, you know, even watching Do the Right Thing when when um, Public Enemy released Fight, Fight the Power. That was a huge okay. song. And it's like, oh, OK, this is what's happening over there. You know, that's also my introduction to hip hop as well is is, wow, they're able to convey everything that's things that are going on through the music and through movies and through you know and then and that led me to study Malcolm X even further on my own as I got older you know um the deeper I got into those artists so so the groundwork that my the, the seeds that my mom planted by having those those pictures and and you know exposing me to these movies and exposing me to these type of of literature uh, are things that I that I've always carried on with me and that I've understood even more after high school. After high school was a time, and it's actually when I moved here. It's interesting because people always ask me, um, you know, when did you really start making music? When did you get into Islam? When did you get into this and that? And a lot of it was here when I first moved to Colorado Springs because I was fresh out of high school. I was away from all my friends and I had a lot of time. So I would I would work. And if I if I wasn't at work, I'd be reading books and just really studying and, and um, you know, grow my brain. Yeah. I mean, it is all a journey, right? Collecting the information, whether that's mm -hmm. people that we meet, whether it's, oh, hey, somebody just introduced this idea to me or this book that I just read yeah. just blew my mind. Yeah. And then how we take it all in and use that and, and, it, and it shapes something about who we are. And also, also, you know, artists, great artists who mention important topics in their songs mm. um, is something that, Right before this latest single we put out, you know, at, at, the end, at the end of last year, we put out a single called Lumumba, um, named after Patrice Lumumba, who was a revolutionary from the Congo. And so many people, a lot of people know who he is, but so many people don't, you know, and I was getting messages. Um, I remember a young man uh, sent me a message and said, hey, I, I had never heard of him before this song or before you mentioned him in your freestyle. And now I'm looking him up and I'm really impressed by the by the story. You know, I'm really impressed by the things that he's gone through and the things that he fought for. And it's like, I feel like it, as an artist, it's our duty to do things like that, you know, to, to mention what you stand for and to mention the people that you're inspired by so that it can further inspire more people. Right. And is that that's your son who's the cover art yeah, the, who is photographed yeah, yeah, who's representing yeah. for that song right 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 yeah and i'm gonna throw out another dot here we can connect and his name is malcolm <laughs> name yeah, for absolutely. malcolm x yeah so and it's interesting because um 
obviously he's named for Malcolm X because that was a huge inspiration in my life in, in the transformation of me becoming a man. But also Asia's grandfather's name was Donald Malcolm and he passed away right before we had Malcolm. Okay. So it, 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 it was only right. Right. Yeah. Man, there are just always so many things that we can, no, yeah, we like, can go like so many directions yeah. and it's, it's amazing. And we're going to get to some more of those, but before we come out too far from your childhood and you described growing up in the projects in Brussels. Um, so my mom, when, uh, when, when we moved with my, with my mom in, in, um, in 89, when my youngest sister and I moved with my mom and my oldest sister was already there, because uh, it's three of us, my mom went from, you know, she went from, from just raising one child to raising three. So we ended up in, 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 in a small town called Mons, which is, uh, it's a little bit, it's, a, it's about an hour from Brussels. So we moved from Brussels, we went to Mons. And, um, and we were in a community that was mainly uh, immigrants. So West Africa, Central Africa, North Africa, a lot of Algerians, Moroccans. So I came from a neighborhood where it was, it was really loving. It was really, um, you know, a lot of it. And it's interesting because the, the, the more I grew up and the more I went to school, if I, if I mentioned to people what, what neighborhood I lived in, they would look at me like, oh, wow, that's the neighborhood that we just saw on the news where there was this murder or there, there was this and that. But when you're in the mix and you live there, you know, it, you see it from a different angle. You know what I mean? Right. Two things that was really great um, that I really appreciate from, from me growing up in that, in that neighborhood is that it was a village for us. Meaning my mom could discipline my friends and my friend's parents could discipline me if, mm. these, if they saw yeah. me acting up. And, and, you know, these are things that I usually don't, I, I usually don't talk about. I remember the first time I brought Asia to Belgium, um, this was 2011. Uh, no, it was 2011. Yeah, because we had Malcolm already. And all my friends were excited to see her and excited to see that I was a married man. You know what I mean? Like raising, raising a strong family. Because they were like, well, this guy was a, a riot. He was a live wire as a kid. You know, and, and I remember things like my mom bought me a BB gun because that's what I wanted. That's what me and my, you know, we were young boys at the time just running around acting crazy. And and I was just, you know, from watching movies and trying to act these things out. I remember someone's dad confisc confiscating my, my BB gun. And I was like, you can't do that, you know, because I came from a household where I didn't have I didn't have a dad. You know what I mean? So to have someone else's dad, like these are things that that happened to them probably regularly but they didn't have you know what i mean like I, I didn't have that kind of discipline in my house um but understanding the love that came with it you know and, right. and also as we got older our parents my friend's parents put them in, in soccer so once you have something like that that means you're going to school and then you're going to practice after that and on the weekends you have games or matches and it keeps you busy and what my mom did for me uh with some of some of my older cousins she put me in taekwondo and that was huge for me because I really I, I enjoyed martial arts and and it kept me busy and it also kept me from fighting on the streets. You know what I mean? I'm because you, you get discipline and you're not going to use the skill that you learn with your sensei. You're not going to use that on the streets unless really someone is trying to harm you and you're using it for self defense. But definitely putting us in sports and putting us in martial arts is something that really, I think it saved us because we didn't have that free time in our hands. And even watching some of the kids from the other neighborhoods, from the other projects across from town, um, they didn't have that. And so seeing the stuff that they would get into, you know, um, they, they grew up to be in and out of prison and grew up to, to you know, robberies and all sorts of different things. But, and, and I attribute that to not 
having to having that free time on your hands and you're just thinking of different ways that you can make money or thinking of different ways that you can get over on right. people. So I'm really yeah. thankful that, you know, my mom put put me in Taekwondo and most of my friends uh, had soccer and different things like that as an outlet and and to keep, you know, to keep you busy and to, to, to also learn a lot of discipline and great skills. The martial arts, I never did have those classes, but I do think that, uh, you know, the discipline aspect of that is huge. And, yeah. and it might be overlooked by people who aren't really sure what it's about. Right. And, and the, the positives that that teaches again, we're both, we're both dads. Yep. And you just mentioned that you didn't really have a dad, at least for part of your childhood there. Right. And your mom was working so hard and, and all that. And I'm just wondering about that experience, the impact of that on you, maybe what you missed most or wished most that he would have been there to provide if it wasn't discipline, maybe something else. Yeah. It's something, it's something that I never, I never really thought about until I got older. You know, or okay. one of the first time it hit me, one of the first time it hit me is, you know, we, me and my friends were walking around and we went to, there was this, uh, this American neighborhood about 10 minutes from where we lived. So a lot of the people who, who worked on the, on the military base, on the American military base, there was a, a, a neighborhood that they lived in that wasn't too far from us. And I knew a lot of kids there cause I have, I had gone to that school before. So one day we were walking through their neighborhood. It was, it was like five, five or eight of us. And they, for some reason, they thought we were disrespecting them or we wanted to fight them. So they gathered like 20 of them and started following us, right? It, it, and, it, you know, you remember that age. You remember being that age and being so young that little things that would end up, that would turn into a fight. But I remember, <laughs> but I remember um, right before, because we used to go there a lot. So, so I have a lot of stories. Actually, I almost got two, two, two stories mixed up. But the one time we were in that neighborhood and one kid got in a fight with another kid. And I remember hearing him say, I'm going to go get my dad. Mm-hmm. And once I heard that, I was like, wow, that like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't tell anybody right. I'm going to go get my dad because I'm going to go get my mom just does not sound the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like, that's the first time that it really hit me. Like, oh, wow, I couldn't do it. I didn't even have a big brother. You know what I mean? I had an older sister and, and a younger sister. So so that was always like, wow, who would I get? You know what I mean? Like if you, if you get in that situation, so that, 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 that's something that made me even, you know, stronger. You know, if you have to get in an altercation, like you really have to handle it yourself because you have no one to go get, you know what I mean? But, but it's not something that I thought about often um, until, until I, I started getting older and, and started having questions about getting into manhood, you know, started having questions about, you know, when you have a girlfriend or, you know, when you get a job or I think another time was I had to, I had to wear a suit. I had to wear a suit to go to church and I had to tie a tie and I didn't know how to tie a tie, you know, like little things like that would come, would come up or like the first time I had to change a tire. It was like, oh, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- th- those little, little moments that, you know, I'll, I'm going to make sure I teach my son how to tie a tie. I'm going to make sure I teach him how to change a tire. And, um, uh, you know, defend himself or come get me if you, if you need me. You know, I think the teaching thing, I, I look at that as the most critical aspect of what my role is as a father. I have sons, two of them, they are eight and 10. And, you know, I, I just, I take that part really seriously that I feel like, you know, if I were to, you know, to not be able to be here anymore next week, next month, 10 years from now, whenever it is, I want them to have some idea of who I who I was, yeah. who I was in their lives. 
and what I thought was important in life. And yeah. And so how about you and, and what those values are of what, and, and maybe that ties to the fact that, Hey, this, my dad wasn't here to, to do this part for me. Like some of the stuff you were mentioning, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just plain is what have you figured out about fatherhood and yeah, yeah, yeah. And what matters to you as a father? Yeah. You know, one thing that's very, very important to me overall is being present for things, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that was tough when the kids were a lot younger because we tra- we toured so much. You know, we would travel a lot. And sometimes it would get to a point where it's like, OK, you have to make a decision. Either you're going to accept this gig that's going to have you be out for a couple of days and then miss maybe a school play, which I'm fortunate we haven't had to miss too much. But but that presence is huge. You know, and a friend of mine, a friend of mine posted a, a caption one day on a picture of him and his son that said presence over presence. So, you know, because a lot of a lot of parents are not able to be there so much. So then they make it up by just saying, hey, let me just, you know, take you out and buy you all this stuff. Or, you know, here's a right. gift every every time I see you. But being there to experience and witness things is huge. You know, like being there to to, to, to watch your kids lose lose teeth. You know what I mean? <laughs> little little things like that that are very important. Um, but another thing that's very important, too, is they they watch, you know, our kids are watching us constantly. And that means the way you do everything, the way you speak to people, the way you carry yourself, the way you you you, you work, uh, you know, you'd be surprised, man, how, how much they observe, but also the way you treat your spouse. You know, the, right. I know for my daughter, that, set, that sets the ground for what to expect in life. You know what I mean? A healthy relationship. You know, this is how a woman is supposed to be treated or, you know, this is how someone should be talking to you. <laughs> if they don't talk to you this way, you know, it may be unhealthy to be in that kind of even, even friendship, you know? Right. So well, just, any kind of relationship, right? Absolutely. Because it's like, whether that's a boss, a coworker, it's like, these are the lines of how you can respect me, tr- talk yep. to me respectfully. And this is how you need to not act with me. Yeah. And yep. it doesn't matter what the relationship is almost, but of course, some of those most important ones, friendships yeah. and then partnerships with marriage or whatever kind it is. Absolutely. You got to set, you got to set firm and healthy boundaries too, you know, before people cross them and, you know, you start to have unhealthy relationships. Yeah. I think that's a challenge for all of us. Um, oh, yeah. trying to figure out, well, how do I set that boundary? Yeah. How, how am yeah. I nice enough, but not yeah. too nice, but not too harsh and too quick to jump on it. And yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned touring. So as with the mm-hmm. reminders and things and yeah. That really, at some point here, became a family affair, didn't it? I mean, the kids started going did, on yeah. the road into performances. Tell me about that, because it to did. me, that's that's just such a, not unique necessarily in the sense of as if you were the only group on the planet and the only family on the planet that does this, but it still is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, when the whole, our, our whole, the reminders was never, was never something that we planned like, Hey, you know what? We're going to get together and we're going to be the super group. That's actually, that's also a family. And it was never planned like that. You know, I, I happened to be an artist. Asia happened to be an artist. We got together as a couple first. And then once you start sharing so much space, you know, you, you're, you waking up in the same house and, and you create and you share, you share the things that you create. You know, we, we started collaborating a lot more. And before you know it, we had 10 songs together. That's how some of our first recordings came about. It was never, 
um, hey, let's put let's put this project out. You know, I I was coming from being in a group called Acumen. I was uh, about I was recording a solo project, and I was going to call it the Reminder. And then I had Asia do a couple hooks. Then we had a couple songs together. Then I was like, maybe we'll just make a group project. You know, I was like, uh, let's just call it the Reminders. That's that's w- what we are. You know, <laughs> we're, we're reminders to people of you know what 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 love is and what what this kind of music still exists, you know, because a lot of time that will happen when we perform people say, oh man, I remember I used to listen to this, like Fuji's, it reminds me of that. Or, and also, you know, as I was reading, I was reading the Holy Quran and it mentioned that believers are reminders to one another of what they should be doing. You know what I mean? Like almost okay. like you, you, you remind your friends, that you keep your friends in check. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so everything about it just, just felt right. And so that, that's how that came about really naturally it wasn't it wasn't planned then as as we became parents things started moving really fast once we put out the first record and every chance we got to bring our children with us on the road or to a show like oh why not you know what i mean it's not like it's a place they can't be it's you know what i mean we're there and 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 they can be there a lot of times we were performing in outdoor events at the park and you know then it grew into what it grew into but you know we love we love being together we love you know our, we love our children being around they love being around us so yeah it just feels great you know and and and, and it keeps us sane too you know my my sons are excited that i'm in here talking to you that i do this podcast i yeah. mean they love to be included yeah and if we stick with that fatherhood thing i mean just because we are the fathers in in the mm-hmm. the family um I think it's important to let them see that we do have a life and we do create in the world. We're not just this narrow lane of discipline or whatever they might otherwise end Mm -hmm. up thinking about a father, you know? Um, You mentioned Rakim, uh, Wu-Tang, the Fugees, you know, Lauren Hill. You guys have done work. You've played stages and and performed with these people and a whole lot of others. I mean, Snoop Dogg, Most Dev, there's so many. Yeah. And... I'm wondering about the influence of that experience in your life and your family's. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I'm really thankful, you know, I'm really blessed and thankful and appreciative of the things that we've been able to do. You know, a lot of it, a lot of it came with a lot of hard work. You know what I mean? Um, this whole time we've been able to manage all of this without, without a record label. We've never signed a deal with any label, any management or anything. We've just been able to do it. You know, I feel like part of my, part of my artistry suffered sometimes because of how much time I have to invest in the business side of it and in the management and all of that. But, but that's the reward is being able to, to perform and open for people like that. And it's interesting that you mentioned all of those because I have a story with every single person you mentioned reaffirming everything we've been doing. You know, there's been times where you open for young, uh, for like underground artists or artists that are more independent and, and is not a pleasant experience because they put themselves on a pedestal and they're really disrespectful. And then there's times where you open, you open for somebody that's so big that, you think they're going to act like that. You think they're going to be super, right? Uh, you know what I mean? Super disrespectful, but they're not at all. And, and, and with every person, you know, I don't know how much time we got, but with, with, I'm just going to be real brief. Rakim, we opened for Rakim at the Bo- at the Fox Theater in Boulder. And after the show, we went backstage. And to me, I'm telling you, I was, I was 12 years old rapping Rakim lyrics before I spoke English. 
You know, I'm, I'm, I used to rap along even when I didn't necessarily understand what he was saying. And so fast forward, now we're opening for him and then we're backstage and he's just super welcoming. And his wife is there with him. And one thing that was really amazing to find out is his wife was on tour with him and they have been together since high school. It's his high school sweetheart. And, and so to me, it was nice. so it was it was mind blowing to hear these stories. And, and she was so excited because at the time, Asia was pregnant with Malcolm and she was excited to meet me and Asia. And, and, it, and so that was really it was really dope to be so welcomed by someone like Rakim. Um, you know, we opened for Method Man and Red Man a few times. And it's really fun performing with those guys because they have so much energy, you know. And, and the, after the second time, Method Man was like, I don't tell people this often. But you guys put on a killer show. And so that was like, oh, man. To me, he's one of my favorite performers. Um, uh, that was Method Man. Then Snoop Dogg. Now, Snoop was one of the first times that we opened for someone of that magnitude. There's been times where, you know, if I mention certain artists that we perform with, people are like, oh, cool. Like, I don't really listen to rap, so I really don't know who that is. But if you say Snoop Dogg to anyone in the world, they're going to know who it is. I had aunties in Africa sending me messages <laughs> like, congratulations, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, so everyone in the world knows who he is. So by the time, this was in, in Aspen at Belly Up. So by the time we're, we're doing the show, um, his photographer, his photographer, my man Gucci, is an incredible human being. He took pictures of us. And after the show, he was like, you guys had to meet the dog. And I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, you hear these stories about Snoop. So I pictured his backstage being a certain way. So the photographer brought us back. And when we went back there, Asia's dad was with us. And uh, Asia's mom was there as well. And Snoop was just super excited. He had his camcorder and he was filming. And then he, and then he got to my DJ. And he was like, yo, um, I'm filming a documentary. Can you give me a shout out? So then my DJ is like, yo, Snoop, what's up? You didn't call da da da. And then so then he's like, can you give me a shout out? And Snoop was like, of course. So he shut his camera, his camcorder off. And then from there, he was just so, so accepting of us. Like he asked for a CD, he put it on right away. And and um the photographer was telling him about the show. He was like, What? He, you know, he he was the photographer was like, they can they, they're spiritual people, they're a family, they can kill the stage. And Snoop was like, Man, I want to hear this, you know. He and then he started telling us. At the time, his daughter, I think, um, was they had diagnosed her with lupus, but then, okay. but then, come to find out afterwards, like she didn't really have it, right? But he was doing a fundraiser, so he was he was taking pictures with with, with people, and the money that he was making from the pictures were going to a lupus foundation from being exposed to that, you know, to that world. And um, you know, he started talking to Asia's dad, and he was like, "I really, I really admire the fact that you're here with your daughter at this show. You got to keep family close." And you know, his wife was there, uh, his you know, his cousin Das from the Dog Pound. It was just really amazing to be in this room again. Snoop is a person I listen to. You know, I remember that that was some of the lyrics that when I when I sang along to, my mom would look at me like, "Yeah, you can't sing those lyrics." You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and then and then here we are. Um, and then Lauren Hill definitely is my top five artist of all time. And, and Asia as well. You know, Asia looks looks up to Lauren Hill so much. So by the time we opened for her in Boulder, um, we we did we ended up doing the Denver date. And on the Denver date, she she said, um, hey, what are you guys doing the next couple of weeks? I'd love to take you on tour with me. And so, you know, that tour changed our life. And and then, you know, now to the point where now we're friends, you know, our kids are friends. Um, our daughter 
is the same age as one of her daughters in, in their, you know, FaceTime and they're talking on the phone all the time. And it's, it's just amazing. And I think it's from the time we, we, we spent in Aspen. Uh, we did two shows in Aspen. It was around Christmas two years ago. And then and we got to spend a lot of time with Lauren Hill, um, just hanging out in the hotel lobby, talking all night. And then we all went tubing the next day. So just get, getting this connection and this relationship with artists that you really looked up to at one point, you know, that you still look up to. Like to me now, it's more than just uh, artistry, but it's also just looking at them as, as mentors, you know, and, and as big brother and big sister, you know. So it's a great it's a great feeling. I'm sure that that's amazing. And yeah. and yeah, there's always that thing. It's like, oh, well, I want to meet my my hero or whatever you right. might call him, this person that right. I respect so much from afar. But do I really want to? Because I don't want right. to bust the bubble on that. And oh, and man. so anytime they come through as being everything that you would hope is, yeah, you know, it, is, it, I feel good. It, it feels great because now you you listen to the music differently. You know what I mean? Or you oh, watch yeah. the movies, you know, and if, the, if they're actors, you watch the movies differently. You just respect them and support them. And, like, you know, people have, uh, so whenever people want to talk bad about those artists, I'm like, nope, not around me. You can't do that around me, you know. <laughs> but, again, then there are some artists that people love that are just not good people, you know. You're a great artist. You're a great musician. But as a person, I, will, I, I don't want to be around you and, and you know, you know, you mentioned Snoop's reach and, uh, you know, I, I came up in high school and stuff listening to him too. And, yeah. um, and, and I mean, white kid in small town, rural vanilla Midwest. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a far reach from Compton and Long Beach and stuff like that, you know, where yeah. he's, he's yeah. rapping about, but to me, the biggest signal of how big his reach was is in more recent years when he's partnering with Martha Stewart, right? doing commercials and brand stuff (laughs) right like everybody loves him he's the only person that can do that oh yeah only snoop can can do something like that successfully (laughs) right that it's it's funny um all right so let's go back to the empowerment aspect of things and love of self and the strength and all this stuff in lyrics and in one song and and you and asia performed this at tedx uh in denver about uh, maybe five years ago or so and it was i remember is that song right and in in that toward the end you're engaging the crowd and you're getting people to say i love me and man that just sort of that that hits me in a different way and for better or worse it is because I don't say that to myself, except in really rare situations where I'm trying to soften and be more human and be more gentle on yep. myself instead of kind of all the negative self-talk. So one, that's yep. amazing. And that's an example of what the two of you do as the reminders. But also I'm curious, yeah, what is your relationship with that phrase yourself? I love me. Man, for me, it's something that I do love myself and I tell myself that from time to time, but not as much as I should, like anybody. Um, and for me, it's more of because I'm so busy helping everyone else. You know what I mean? I'm a person who I want to see everybody be happy and I want to see everybody succeed. You know what I mean? If there's anything in my power that I can do to to make someone's life better, I will do it. Um, so for me, it's more of, you know, I, I, I'm keeping busy at all times. That that phrase we've done we've done that same performance for live concerts in front of thousands of people small coffee shops universities 
high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools. Now, middle schools, I think, were the toughest to actually say, to say it back. And I think that's because it's that pivotal okay. age, even that pivotal age in which we're talking about in that song, I remember. Um, you know, in the song, I remember Asia talks about this this car, I mean, this uh, accident that she she was running she was running to go to the backyard and then see the glass door and ran through it. And so she, it almost severed her legs. So she had a bunch of scars on her legs, uh, stomach. And when she went back to school after the surgery, you know, kids were making fun of her. It was that age, that middle school, where kids okay. are just, I mean, kids are ruthless, man. They do not hold back. They'll make fun of you at, at all costs. And, um, but also at the time, as we were doing these performances, we were being, that's when we started doing more school performances. Um, we did, we did a performance at our children's elementary at the time. And then the district, uh, principal invited us to one of the middle school and one of the high schools because of the suicide rate in Colorado Springs. Um, and that was just heartbreaking. Okay. It is the, the more we yeah. went into these, these schools and we would hear these stories and, and it was just really heartbreaking. So we, we made it a point to, to speak up about it, to to empower these kids because of what they deal with, with one another, because of what they deal with when they go home. There's just so many issues nowadays that, um, you know, if we can provide a little joy, a little, a little peace, a little uh, upliftment, we were going to do that, uh, you know, as much as we could. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I think about those kids, of course, need that, but we all do. Right. Oh, and yeah. that's why oh, it yeah. resonates. Oh, we yeah. all need to be in whatever form. If it's not so direct as I love me. Yeah. I mean, we've got to find some way to show ourselves, to say that to ourselves, because, you know, as I've had in a couple of conversations recently on the podcast, we're talking about operating out of fear or love. Mm -hmm. And as one of my friends, uh, her name is Jessica Patterson. She's a spiritual teacher, a writer, teacher of yoga. And as she says, you're either acting from a place of love mm -hmm. or you're acting out of a need for love. Yeah. Right. It's very true. Fear and love. And we all need to be able to say, I love me and not be just okay. afraid to say that because of all the That's things right. that we think are so wrong and broken. And, yeah. and you're all's music, man. You're speaking to all this stuff. I already mentioned how we've got the mix, like true yeah. international, authentic mix of you. Yep. Yeah and yeah. hip hop yeah. and African rhythms and roots and all this yeah. stuff. And yeah, you know, maybe we've already hit on this, but my question at the end of this here is, is how did you come to this sense of yourself as an artist and musically, the two of you, you and Asia together, that this is how we're going to put out yeah. this groove. And this is the type of strength we want to show and encourage, you know, I think part of it is just experiences. You know, the the more the more we travel, the more we got exposed to. First of all, growing up, we were exposed to R and B, classic rock, um, hip hop, reggae. Our both our household had all of those. You know, jazz. So it was it was we, musically we're influenced by everything. And but as we as we traveled, you know, in 2010, we went to Morocco for the first time. Uh, with the State Department and got to perform at festivals and also collaborate with Moroccan musicians. And I had never heard of Ganawa music before. You know, the 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 the, the time signature is completely different. And 
so get into getting to be exposed to that kind of music. And now uh, there's a band called Tenari Win. Uh, that's one of our favorite bands. Like we go see them when they come to when they come to Denver. Um, it's like with our travels being exposed to to new music, we incorporate everything that we learn from. You know what I mean? Um, we we learn from reggae. Okay, let's incorporate some of that into music. Even some of the way we we write is 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 from from the experiences that we've gained. Again, um, these these are things that just grew naturally in us from from being exposed to it, from experiencing it. And uh, you know, even being in Jamaica, being in Jamaica, and and uh, and drumming, drumming with Jamaican drummers is a uh, you know learning from that as well, and incorporating that in how we share music too. You know, I'm thinking of uh, George Harrison from the Beatles, right? Yep. And when yep. after they had gone to India and they spent their time on this sort of spiritual retreat thing, but then it also was stirring these creative juices, yeah. and then Harrison in particular comes back and he's playing, you know, the music that that he brought back with him that got into him yep. while they were there. And yep. it's just, we all are that mix of everything. And so that's an encouragement, right? That people go out and have more experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think that's why a lot of time people, people compare us to a lot of different, different um, bands and groups, but whenever they say we remind them of the Fugees, I think that's why is their music embodied so much. It wasn't just hip hop records. It was like, no, this is like, Hip hop mixed with with um, reggae mixed with and then and then Lauryn Hill would just sing a whole song, you know what I mean, on some Aretha Franklin stuff. It's like this is a lot more than just hip hop. So when we come ar- come around, I mean, Asia, Asia to me is is an incredible singer and an incredible writer, you know. So that in itself is going to bring more than just a hip hop record. It's going to bring so much more than just um, one genre. You know what I mean? So, right. so we keep pushing the boundaries with each record, with each song we we record, and and uh, you know just really excited for for the new stuff we have coming up. It, I think it, like these these singles we've been putting putting out are just teasers, while we're still uh you know we're not it, the world is not open yet, so you still don't have concerts and tours and things like that. So until until that comes back, that's when we're really going to start releasing music again. So that you then have that to to kind of fuel and the tour to fuel that and have it flow together. Yeah. I think one, one of the things about this time is we, we haven't had the pressure of touring for a year. We haven't had the pressure of even having to perform. You know, we, we've done a few um, live streams and things like that, but I mean, this is from the house, you know what I mean? Like the, by the time you're done, you're still in your home. So it's been an <laughs> incredible, it's been an incredible time to actually catch up on a lot of reading and, 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 and do things that we wouldn't have done otherwise, you know, spend, spend so much time with our children, spend, uh, we bought kayaks, we've been kayaking when the weather was good, you know what I mean? Like this, these are things that I don't know if we would have done that if we would have just been in this rigorous touring and, you know what I mean, and navigating life yeah. uh, type of schedule. But, um, but with that being said, I think we've been writing some of our best work, not just musically, but in general, you know, um, I'm not going to speak for Asia too much, but, you know, Asia has been writing a ton, um, curriculums and, 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 and songwriting, uh, curriculums and, and, you know, also working on books and things like that. So this time has been really incredible for us. It's given us all a different perspective, um, for the various reasons, everybody for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think there is strength in being able to look at, well, what can we take from this time? Not, yeah. not just sit in what could make us angry or upset yeah. or, this is the way it should have been or whatever. But, um, 
and it's also kind of tough to to be super productive, be super creative and say, yeah, well, yeah, I should yeah. be doing all this stuff. Yeah. Right? So how did you find that balance? Man, that's a great question. Um, the first the first two months, I didn't I didn't do any music at all. I was just I was like, you know what? We still have to figure out what's going on and what's happening. Let's just be in this house. We, we were blessed and, and enough to have food and have the things that we need. And we had worked so hard the, the year before that we were good in terms of, of you know, getting our bills paid and things like that. Um, so it was like, you know what, let's focus on time, on our time. You know what I mean? And, and uh, matter of fact, uh, last year, shortly after the pandemic hit was Ramadan. So it, it was time to fast. And we were able to fast as a family in the house and not, you know, the kids didn't have school. Or I, we didn't have to go and travel okay. and do all these different things. So it was it was really blessed moment. It was the first time our, all our kids fasted with us, um, which I don't think that would have happened any other way. Like even this year is coming up and they have school. So they're like, eh, I don't know if that's going to work out. You know what I mean? Like my son is 10 years old. So it's going to be a little challenging if he was to do that. But um, it wasn't until, you know, solid once the summer hit, we we're like, okay, let's 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 go down in the basement and start plugging things up and, and seeing what we come up with, and just being able to come up with songs from scratch and producing things from from just from nothing. You know what I mean? Not just hey, a producer sent me a beat. Let me let me write to that. But let's come up with songs that 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 are just authentically a hundred percent us. Where it's right. something that you know we we dabbled in before, but now it, it, it's like now we really embodied that, and we we were really really able to do that a hundred percent, and um and just growing that. Like every time we do one, we're like, okay, let's do another one. You know, let's do more, let's do more, and, and challenging ourselves too. Um, you know, like we come up with different challenges. Like you know, no matter what you you write daily, no matter what you create something daily, um, even if it's not. The, mo- the the most incredible thing you you've done something creative right yeah it, it's a practice right mm-hmm. so the more consistent we are with it yep. you know you might look at if, if you're watching for that water to boil you know yeah. it's it's yeah. hard to see magic in every every moment every day's practice yeah. but over time you get somewhere yeah and they say you know they say practice makes perfect so and don't feel like like you like you like you mentioned like being in that place where you feel like oh I should be doing something now you also got to remember that there are times that you have to take for yourself, not worrying about, you know, being creative and not worrying about like there, there are times where it's OK. It's OK to just kick back, you know what I mean, and, and go for a walk or ride your bike. Well, I think it's even yeah, it's, it's important to as well. Right. And yeah, uh, yeah. to get that space, to allow your body to move and see what, you know, breathe that air. And mm-hmm. speaking of that, though, you know, you're talking about going into the basement and. Mm-hmm not starting with somebody else's beat maybe or some nugget here or there, but you're also not able to go out in the past year during the pandemic in the same way that you otherwise would have where, oh, hey, I just just had this conversation with that person and that triggered this thought or I saw this over in the park. So what was it that the two of you were drawing from when really you're closed in and not getting the same sort of interaction with life? You know, I, I can see that being a challenge. Yeah, part of it. Part of it was after six months go by. You, it's these are blessed moments that that you know we couldn't have we couldn't have worked for or paid for. You know what I mean? And, and, and that we've been able to spend with our families. And but within that, like you said, there there are also challenges. Like you are in each other's face all day long. You know what I mean? <laughs> and 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 
and the conversation, like no conversations, you can't run away from conversations and 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 uh, and different things like that. So we we made a song, matter of fact, called "Nowhere to Nowhere to Hide." Um, we we put it on the, our Instagram and on YouTube because um, right because we we recorded it like a tiny desk type of uh, performance, and uh, and that song talks about that about you know being fate. You have to you're faced with everything. You know you can't get away from 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 anything. Everything is in your face in this in this time. Um, right. So yes, yeah, it's, it's challenging and blessed and blessed at the same time. I want to go back to the fasting as a family. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I'm not familiar with that as a practice, so I don't know if for your kids what the normal. Um, I don't want to use the word expectation, but that's mm-hmm. the word right yeah. there right now. Uh, in terms of. At what age do you start this right. practice? And then as a family, I'm just curious to know what that experience was for all of you, because I'm thinking as kids, you start thinking, oh, I'm hungry. You know, oh, yeah, what's the challenge sure, sure. there and what comes through that? Yeah. So, you know, I've been Muslim since since uh, I was about 19. And and each year with the month of Ramadan, I learned more and more. I learned each year I learned how to do it better. You know what I mean? Like, especially when you when you're younger and you're the only person that in your family that's fasting, you're not sure how to go about it. So basically, from from uh, uh, from dawn to sunset is when you're fasting from every from food, drink, uh, you know, smoking for people who smoke or sexual relations and things like that. Um, so from from those hours between those hours, but. And because so, a lot of time people are like, how do you do it for 30 days? You're fasting. It's like, no, well, we still eat and drink. It's <laughs> not, you know, not within those times. So, right. um, and usually for our kids, they watch us do it. Um, and, and the age, the age, uh, I think it's at the age of maturity, like when a girl gets her cycle and things like that, around okay. that age is when you start um, fasting as well. Or depending on how mature the kid is, like I've seen very young kids fast and, um, Last year, usually what our kids do is they'll treat it almost like Lent, right? Like I'm gonna give up something, I'm gonna fast from my okay. phone. You know what I mean? Or I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, like they, they'll, they'll, they've tried different things over the years, just in solidarity with with us. Or you know, I'm just going to eat like breakfast, lunch, dinner, but not snack out of control throughout the day. Little things like that, just to understand the sacrifice and to feel what it feels like to be hungry, because part of it is you're gonna be hungry. And the mind, the mind state that you're in when you're in that in, in that place, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, what yeah. you, what do you do with your time during Ramadan? We're always focused because you're not just going to walk around just eating and just doing whatever it is you want. So you're really focused about how you spend your time. And last year they were like, "Well, we're going to be home with you guys all day, so we don't have the excuse of being in class or having PE because that's usually the go-to. What about during PE? What about this? You know, what about at lunch <laughs> when my kids, when my friends are eating?" So um, they all decided they were like, "Well, we're going to give it a shot." And and so I, I told I told the girls who, who they're, they're a little bit older. Um, I said, "Well, if you if you want to, but you know, whenever you feel hungry, you do what you got to do." And the rule for my son was. Just fast as long as you can until you can't anymore, right? And then last year, they woke up. In, so what we did is we woke up in the morning before dawn as a family, cooked breakfast. We all ate. And from there, we, we hung out, talked for a little bit. And then, you know, throughout the day, you're going to take a nap at some point. And, and it worked out. You know, it was, it was really a blessing to watch them really make that effort, you know, like get up in the morning super early, eat. And then spend some time and have great discussions and 
and go throughout the day. And, you know, there was definitely tough days where, where they're like, oh, I'm really hungry today, you know. But, but, but it definitely, I think it changed them. It, it definitely, uh, it, it changed all of us. Even what, us watching them go through that process was really amazing. I think what you're describing there, a really critical piece of that, is that you're allowing them the experience. You're providing the structure and opportunity, mm-hmm. but not trying to force something on them. Right, right, Because right. then it, it changes what that experience is for them. It changes what they think of it as they get older, and then they reflect yep. back, and it's like, yep. you know, instead of getting the value of just try it in this way, try it in that way, see what you yeah. think in your yeah. own experience. Yeah. And, and and I think for my son, one day he realized he's like, man, I've been able to fast till this time. And then he pushed himself a little, you know, a little further. And, and then and then he realized he was like, man, I can really do it, you know. So, so you know, sometimes now if we're on a road trip or something, I'm like, he's like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm like, man, you got it. You've done longer than this, you know. <laughs> like you can eat in the yeah. next thirty, forty minutes. So I think it's great lessons, but also like you said, um, it's about not, you know, you don't want to force people into something they don't want to do. And it's going to, you know, it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. And, and I, and I've met people who, who were forced to fast when they were younger and who want nothing to do with it as they get older, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you about protesting now. Okay. All right. Because I did hear another conversation where you've talked about this and for you, it dates all the way back to nine 11. Mm-hmm. You're talking about your, um, your practice, spirituality, your faith, uh, in Islam. Yeah. I don't want to connect dots there that aren't connected. Oh, I, I also should preface here. I was yeah. not in the country when nine 11 happened. Wow. I was in the army at that time and I was around the world in Korea. Yeah. So in my mind, yeah. this event happened at night, not in the morning. I was not in the U S where I, I have still 20 years later, I don't know what the experience was for you. I don't know what the experience was for anybody in this country with media coverage, with protests. Like, mm-hmm. so that's another reason I'm intrigued by this because I heard you say to somebody else all the way back to 9-11, it's like, well, I don't have a memory of protests at that time for various reasons, yeah. but that's key to me was I wasn't even here. I wasn't seeing the news. Right, right, right. Um, it's interesting. In terms of protest, I've been to... I've been to police brutality protests way before, you know, George Floyd, way before uh, mm-hmm. these 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 recent years, uh, because it's been an issue for that long. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. yeah. So so it, it's been more of a police brutality protest, and also um, uh, for Palestine. Like once you once I got into Islam, I started learning more about the conflicts in, in Palestine and, and 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 realizing how how uh how long that's been going on so some of my first protests were were those as well and, and and to tell you the truth i was really there to learning learning more than anything learning as i as i go um and 9-11 when 9-11 happened it was a really in, in, interesting time because i was still pretty new to the faith but i was getting a lot of uh you know, I was walking around, I would wear a kufi and I had a beard and, you know, I, I was, you could see that I was Muslim and the people I was around, like the women were, were the scarves. And even, even, um, you know, when Asia and I first got together, um, she, she would wear the scarf as well. So just seeing how people react to that and seeing how people treat you or talk to you, um, um, from that was really, it was really interesting time. I think, I think nine eleven brought, brought a lot of ugly out of people. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, prejudice to- towards Muslims, uh, 
but also just really at the time I worked on a military base. So the security went up 5,000%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my, my stepfather was in, was in the air force. So, so I had a military ID as a dependent, but at that time, my age, I think you, you age out of, you age out of the dependent ID. Right. So then I got an ID like as a, as a contractor that worked at the BX. Now the way I, the stuff that I had to go through just to get to work every day just got too crazy. And then one time I was at, I was at work and um, this MP, this military police came up to me and I guess he had just got a briefing that said, you know, if anybody looks suspicious or sounds suspicious, whatever, um, you know, something like arrest them. So I'm at work, I'm selling sneakers at the BX and this guy, and I've known this guy a very long time because he knows my mom, da, da, da. And he comes in and he he's grabbing me and pretending to arrest me. And I remember being like, yo, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, I was told that if anybody looks suspicious, da, 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 and you over here with no mustache and a beard and da, da, da. And, and the way that made me, I was like, I mean, I have customers, you know what I mean? I'm at work. And the way, the way that made me feel, I was like, I, I really didn't like that feeling. Like everything about it was wrong. And I quit, I quit the, I quit that job like directly after that. Um, so, so 9-11 for me was really, was really interesting um, from my perspective, you know, from, from, a, from a Muslim's perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. I mean, it, yeah, of course. I feel I feel pretty ignorant because of not being aware of so much. Even I mean, twenty years later, like I said, I'm still yeah, like, yeah. oh, what what was happening here? Yeah, because yeah, it was it's, so different to me. Right, 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 right. And 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 that's just from that perspective, you know. But but in terms of you know, I, I've gone, I've been in New York. Asia Asia's uncle um, worked. Wor- uh, I forgot what what position he worked at the time, but he worked in Manhattan at the time. You know what I mean? So feeling a certain way about that. You know what I mean? Like, is he okay? And then, and then now traveling to New York and and going to visit Ground Zero and all of like one of my one of my uh, uh, one of my friend uh, lost his brother in 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 nine eleven. And matter of fact, just last week we were talking about he was he was mentioning how it makes him feel when footage of nine eleven comes up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and how it affects his children. You know, they think of their uncle uh, passing right. during that. So it's 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 really tragic, man, and and I think the response to it is is tragic as well. You know, even even looking at the most recent protests, I think being in this pandemic is has brought a lot of light. Like a lot of people have have had to sit at home and really face some of these um some of this violence, and and now they have no choice but to react and say something and protest and stand up. Uh, uh, to the point where people are like, yo, we have to do something now. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is that we have to do. Um, um, and it's been, it's been really interesting to see how people react to it positively and negatively, you know? And, and, and even now with social media, like I try to just use social media to stay, co- stay connected with my friends and to promote music and that's it. I'm, I'm really not a person that, that engages in debates and, and this and that. But watching people express again like you were talking about earlier express things out of love or hate you know like people that you thought you knew and and they're just expressing hateful hateful sentiments on there it's been really it's been really a a a roller coaster ride man and i just watch from afar i I don't i don't engage in any of that i don't engage in debates online um and i don't even engage in in debates if it's not going to be constructive 
Yeah. Yeah. And well, it, it doesn't feel good. No, not at all. And, you know, so the thing with 9-11, right, obviously I've seen things, I've heard things, I've read things. I can go pick up a book. I can go look up old, you know, magazine articles on what happened. But when I say that I don't really know what I'm talking about is I wasn't surrounded by individuals in my community, in my city, and knowing what their experience on that morning was, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't at the office gathered around a TV, you know, watching it happen. Where were you at the time? I was in Korea. I was in Korea. I was in the army. Um, You know, I was on a post there and, and we were shut down. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's what it was. Cause you know, what's, what's interesting is I remember working, working the night before. So that morning I was beat and my family called from Belgium. They're like, Hey, what's going on? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm just waking up. Right. And, and as they said that I go upstairs. I live in my mom's house at the time I go upstairs and, and, um, we turned the TV or my mom already had the TV on. And I was like, I hadn't, I, I could not grasp what was happening. You know what I mean? I was like, wait, what is happening? And so, and then, and then immediately after that, like I, like I mentioned, I worked on base. So the base called and said, we're going to be closed today. And uh, they were closed for a week. So again, you're, you're in this place where so many businesses were closed and it was, you know, the streets just felt quiet, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it, Pre-pandemic, it was almost like, okay, here we are. Everybody's home. Most people are home because they don't have to go to work, but you're just sitting here watching what is happening, you know, and, and gathering your emotions, you know, depending on, on who you are and if you have family in New York or, you know what I mean, if you have uh, a firefighter uh, uh, relatives and things like that, you know. Um, so around that time, I, I used that time because I was in the process of moving into my first apartment. So I was like, oh, wow, I don't have to go to work for a week. So let me use that to just move in. So that kind of worked out for me. <laughs> you know, so this all came up because of the idea of protesting. And I know that you have this this history. I don't know that I've heard you use the word activist or activism, but mm-hmm. I mean, is that is if that's appropriate? Yeah. And, okay. and there's a, there's a lot of a lot of lot of themes in, in, in our music that will consider that will make us conscious artists and artists activist like the reason i never use that term is because i've seen what an activist does it's a full-time thing it's not a part-time and and i see artists who are part-time activists and part-time like i can play i i do play the part of an activist from time to time it's just not what i do full-time so i don't feel i I never feel right calling myself that some of my really close friends do that Full time, and and I see and I see the impact they have, and, and and I don't I don't I don't feel right uh putting that next to my title. It's a respect thing. It sounds it's like. a respect thing, yeah. And and also you know, and I check in with them all the time, but you know, before I do certain things, before I say certain things, and and sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to do more in this realm, and and they always remind me, they're like, no, you you are doing enough as you are in the music realm, you know, even, you know, playing some of these protests, playing music, providing the soundtrack to it. You know, we provide the soundtrack to the protest. Well, and talking about that kind of music with those Mm -hmm. kinds of lyrics, with that kind of power, right. There is a history of uh, quote protest music, Mm -hmm. um, of music that is aligned with that kind of activism, standing up against government, against power, against wrongs, bad systems, whatever it might be. And 
You know, it's really interesting, you know, when I was kind of thinking through some of the stuff before we talked, is that it's almost like protest or activism is in the eye of the beholder, the listener, the viewer, whatever, because your words are uplifting and, and strengthening to you know, your audience, and then somebody else might listen to it and say, well, that makes me mad because this is what I think you're saying. You know, it gets political right. really quick. Right, right, right. For sure, for sure, for sure. And, and yeah, and it's all, again, it's all on the, the interpretation, you know, what people get out yeah. of it. Um, and, and, and that's when, that's when you just focus on your intention, you know, what I, what I meant by yeah. saying this, or what I, what I meant by doing this, um, and, and just playing your position. Yeah. It's, man, so, being a public figure is tricky, man, because people are going to have their opinions on, on the things that you do and the things that you say. Well, and you can, again, going back to the intentions, right? You can have the best of intentions, but mm -hmm. if somebody, some troll yep. wants to start up something yep. because they interpret the way they want oh, to because it fits their sure. narrative. For sure. And, and to the point give you where a bad I, day. There, to the point where there are people, I know, I know artists who refuse to do interviews and who refuse to do certain things or who refuse to look online, period, because they don't want to see those comments and things like that. Um, you know, somebody may listen to this interview and, and, and this podcast and say, oh, that's how he feels or that's this what he used to do. You know what I mean? And, and just take something like out of this whole hour plus conversation, you're going to take the one thing you disagree with to, you know, to blow it out of proportion. And there are some people who live for that. Yep. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to head toward winding down, but before we yeah. get there, man, I know you got a 40th birthday coming up in a few days, yes. and yes. one, congratulations, it's a milestone, it's a big one. Thank you. I'm wondering what the view is from there. Now, I, I'll have to say, I mean, I am a few years older than you, I've already crossed this milestone, Nice. but I want your take on, on just what you're seeing about your life and how far you've come from all these things we've talked about and what you're doing in the world and, man, hitting 40. What does it feel like to you? Yeah, I Man, I feel great to tell you the truth, man. I feel I feel physically great. I feel uh, mentally and spiritually great, and, and I have a great. I'm thankful for the relationship I have with my mother. You know, uh, we, we, we're doing great. We, you know, we're communicating regularly. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, you there's times as a man where you go through t where you not maybe not everyone, but you know, I've gone through times where I would just kind of. Oh, I have this and that going on. I'll get to it. I'll call mom when I, you know, I'll call mom right. tomorrow. Or, but you know, I, I, I'm making it a point to communicate, you know, regularly and to see her as much as I can. She has a great relationship with my children. Um, Asia and I are in a really great place. Uh, which, when when you're in tune with your spouse, it makes life so much better. You know, in terms of the way you navigate through this journey. That's what that's that's what the partnership is. You know what I mean? So. So we, I think there's been a lot of growth in these 40 years, you know, and I feel like now I'm just starting to understand what life is about, you know, starting to appreciate yeah. more things, <laughs> starting to even take part in, you know, like I have, I have, I have more hobbies now, you know, which is something that, that I couldn't have said before, you know, like I'm, 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 I made it a point to, to pick up hobbies and to, to do things on my time that are, that are things that I want to do and not necessarily just driving the kids around or, you know, doing something that's, that's musical or, you know what I mean? That has to do with, with music. It's like, there, there are so many things outside of that, that I enjoy now. And it, and it feels great. You know, I have a great group of friends, man. And I think in the past, in the past five to 10 years, I met some of my, some of my best friends 
that you know uh, uh, we're going to be friends forever. That have changed my life. I changed theirs, and 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 I, it just feels it feels wonderful. I'm really thankful. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad to hear it. Congratulations on um, not necessarily hitting the age right. We we hit ages, yeah. but yeah. on the perspective and on the growth because I I agree with what you're saying. Is like it's almost like I'm I'm just kind of learning how much yeah. there is to learn in a way. You know, yeah. even though we've already walked this much of, of a road. Um, and it factors into success. And I want to ask you about success because I think it takes a balance of not only the hard work that you've mentioned, it takes discipline we've mentioned, mm-hmm. but also some amount of luck. Right. And I'm curious yeah, if yeah, you yeah, have yeah. given thought to that balance of luck and yeah. hard work. Yeah. I feel like a lot, a lot of it has been hard work for me so far. Uh, the, the <laughs> luck, I don't know, but I'm still waiting to see the luck. But, um, you know, just like we were mentioning, at 20, I thought I had it figured out. You know what I mean? At 16, I thought I had it figured out, you know? And it's oh, just we know now. we did then. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. But it's just now that I'm like, oh, I look I look at 16-year-olds and I'm like, that's how I looked when I thought I, I knew it, when I thought I was grown because I could drive, you know? When I thought I was I was grown because, I, you know, I could, uh, uh, I had a job so I could pay for my own stuff. And, uh, but now, you know, now, Definitely, there there are cheat codes to this thing. You know, is one thing that I learned. Uh, that I learned it, uh, on this journey is th- there are definitely cheat codes. It's about knowing the right people and 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 having the right conversations, and that's how you're going. You're going to move past where you are. You know what I mean? You could keep working hard, but if you're not working smart and if you're not around the right people, you're not going to go past where you are. You're just going to keep repeating the same things. Along with that, I think maybe comes figuring out when to say yes and when to say no to something. Yep, 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 yep. And and yeah, it's it's, it's very important. I just I just had to say no this morning, and and it's and it, it it is freeing because you know you're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? The the other again, the other person may feel a certain way about it, but that's just what it has to be. You know, you have to know when to say no and do it confidently. And just press on, go on about your day. Yeah. On to the next thing. Right. Samir, I appreciate everything that you've shared, man. And thanks for joining me here. It took us a year because of the pandemic and, and I was, stuff. I was just going to say that, you know, thanks for your patience. And I'm glad it worked out because we had so much more to talk about. It's awesome. Yeah. This was perfect timing. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining Humanity, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm excited to hear it back. So that was my conversation with MC and one half of the duo, The Reminders, Big Samir. You can learn more about Big Samir and references made throughout this conversation in the show notes published with relevant links and an episode transcript on the website at humanitude.com. You also can connect with Samir and his work at theremindersmusic.com and on the usual social media channels. It's at The Reminders on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can easily find The Reminders on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify too. If you appreciate what you've just listened to today, I'd appreciate you taking a moment to rate and review the Humanity Podcast on your podcast player, if it's one that has that functionality. And you're spreading the word on your social media pages and by word of mouth with your family and friends and coworkers and the mailman and the UPS woman and the neighbor's dog and anywhere and everywhere, okay? Because together we can build a more creative, thoughtful, and in a light shining kind of world. 
I'm Adam Williams, creator and host of the Humanity Podcast. Thanks for being here.